Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message that Tom Job gave on Sunday morning, August 29th, 2021, from the book of Romans in chapter 1. Okay, well, um, so today I want to, I, I really want to talk to you just for a, a minute about money. Um, I don't know if you know this, but if you take a dollar bill and you look at like George Washington's face and if you fold it, like so that you make a fold from like the outside of his eye to the outside of his mouth and then another fold to the other outside of his mouth and outside of his eye and you fold it that way. And then if you look at it and you tip it like this, he gets super sad. It's like sad George Washington. And then when you tip it the other way, it's happy George Washington. I just think that's so cool. <laughs> and I don't know if George Washington was either happy or sad, but um, I don't know. But I love that. Uh, but um, so I was reading about this person. Um, well, so, you know, like there was an Augustinian monk and he was super like just vexed about his relationship with God and he felt like he had to pay for all of his sins and he used to like starve himself and he would sleep in the cold with no blankets so he could like try to expiate all of his guilt, which I don't know what he did. It wasn't much, but he thought it was a lot. And then, and then he became a professor of the New Testament at the University of Wittenberg and he hadn't really read it that much and he started to read it, um, the book of Hebrews and Galatians in Greek but particularly the book of Romans, um, his name was Martin Luther. And as he was reading it, he just said, he, he said, it just became, I was thinking about the righteousness of God, which used to terrify me. But as I meditated on the book of Romans day and night, I began to understand that the righteousness of God wasn't something that you work for. It was a gift that God gives you by faith. And you don't have to do anything to get it, but receive it. And he said, it, it became like the gates, that book became like the gates of paradise dice to me. And you would think like a person who believes that, like those of us who like, we believe that, like we believe that good news, that we should be like the most joyful people in the face of the earth. Like Peter said, even though you've never seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, but you believe in him, you rejoice with a joy inexpressible and full of glory. And like people who believe that message should be like the most joyful people like on earth, like all the time. And Martin Luther, like he was, he, he was, and then he wasn't. I mean, he was amazing and he wrote amazing things, except when he wasn't amazing. And he became, he could be like super angry and he could be hateful and uh, he could be super vulgar. And he was an anti-Semitic racist. And I'm like, how is that possible? Like, aren't people who believe this, aren't they supposed to be the sweetest and the kindest and the most joyful people ever? So like, if you read that book, like if you read the book of Romans um, all the way through, and then you get to, well, not all the way through, but then you get to chapter 12, where he says, okay, if you've read it up to this point, you sh this is what we should be like. People who believe what I've written up to now, he said they should be like a bunch of things, but 
And like in verse 10, he said, you should, we should be people who are devoted to love. Like we should be, it, it's kind of a, it's a Greek phrase that uses about three different words for love. We should be the people who love, love, and who love loving people. And if you ask like, so are the Christians those people? Like if you ask just like a general person, they, I don't know what they would say, right? Would they say that's us? And he says in that same verse, chapter 10, he said, we should be the people who are the first in line to find the value in every person, like that just value everyone. I mean, I mean, this is weird, but I, I mean, I thought when the vaccine came out, it would be like people who believed in Jesus because they just value everyone who would be the first to say, I'm getting it. I'm getting it because there's a single mom who works in a restaurant and she's lost her job and we need these restaurants to start up again. And there's a, there's a Latino mom and she's cleaning hotels and she doesn't have a job now. And I'm getting it for everyone because there are people that are sick and they have, and, and they don't need to die of this and I'm gonna do my part. And then you find out that there's a certain demographic of evangelicals who are the least vaccinated people in this country and I just don't get it. I just don't get it. There's a place in verse 13 where it says, if you believe what I've written up to this point, you should be people. It says practice hospitality. But what it really says is that we should chase after loving the Zenoi, the immigrants. We should be the first to go after them and just reach out to them and welcome them and love them because of what I've written to you up to now, up to chapter 12 and it's just like why isn't it that way like why that so that's been the biggest perplexity of my entire like last whatever but it's just like why does the message of Jesus why isn't it more transformative and sometimes I think like if everybody would just read like read it and like read the book of Romans and and I thought maybe that's the problem. Like, so sometimes I think like in my own life, things that I've believed have been things that people have told me, like they've, I mean, I didn't accept Jesus till I was 20, but the people said, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says this, or the Bible says that, or, and I was like, okay. The, uh, like love, in the New Testament, love is not an emotion. It's an act of the will. And I thought, okay, that seems weird to me. And, but if you say so, I guess that's what I believe. And then you read the New Testament and it's like, that's not what it says. Peter says, having purified your heart for a sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently from your heart. How is that not an emotion? Why would anybody say that? How do they just say it and people pass it on and people believe it. In Hosea chapter 11, it's God said of his own people, he said, I can't give you up. I should give you up for what you've done, but I can't do it all of my my compassions are on fire. I'm not going to give you up. 
How is that non-motion? I don't know. You know, I, so there's just things that people say and people pass them on and people believe it, but it's not what the Bible says. So like people talk about praying, like, so how should you, this is the way you should pray, Acts, A-C-T-S. When you pray first adoration and then confession of your sin and then thanksgiving and then supplication. And the, the last thing you do is ask for what you want. Okay, I get that, I guess. It's not really in there. Like, you know, it's like uh, when Peter was walking on the sea and he started to sink. Oh, most gracious and glorious Jesus. We do most. I mean, he would have been like 17 feet underwater before he got to the thing. You know, he said, Lord, save me. You know, like Psalm 13, it just says, God, why are you, for, why are you forgetting me? Why don't you wake up? It's like, whoa. But I mean, just do it. I mean, if that's how you need to pray, just pray that way. You know, but um, so like, you know, so this was a thing when um, when I started to read the book of Romans, because that's what I really, that's the book that I really, really, really wanted to understand when I first accepted Jesus when I was 20. Because it's the book where Paul said, I want to explain to you, I, I know y'all know this, you know, talking to the people in Italy, you know. I know y'all know this, most of you. I just want to make sure we're all on the same page as to like what the message is that I'm telling the whole world about. So here's the good news. Let me, let me just, just have patience. Let me just explain it to you. And that's what he did. And just here's the message I preach um, everywhere. So, so I was reading books about it just great books. And what they would say is like, it's about salvation. Salvation comes in three tenses, past, present, and future. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. Sanctification means, I mean, justification means that you're saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification means you're saved from the presence of sin. Glorification means you're, no, you're saved from the, oh gosh, I, it was so simple. I've totally messed it up. But justification, you're saved in the past from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, you're saved in the present from the power of sin. And glorification, you're saved in the future from the presence of sin. I'm like, okay, I can get my mind around that. If you just read Romans, I don't know if that's what you would get. Because it's all about sin. Like, it's just... Like, you're just talking about sin. Justification means you're rendered acceptable to God. Sanctification means you're given a power to love God. There's a place in Romans chapter seven where it's just about, it's all about falling in love with God. Glorification is when you're like a fully adopted into when God comes and takes us home to be in his home and live with God. It's not so much about sin. It's about God. But I always believe that because people told me that. And so it's just kind of like, I mean, I read all, there was a pastor. I loved him at the 10th Presbyterian church in Philadelphia named Donald Gray Barnhouse. And he talked, gave 30 minute talks every Sunday night on the NBC Bible study hour for 10 years on the book of Romans. And I read all of those. And D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was like my super favorite, but he spoke in his Friday night lecture, like an hour and a half lecture, 
on the book of Romans, he'd do like seven or eight lectures on half a verse. And it took in four, for 14 years. And I read like all of those. And I just read what people told me because I didn't think I could understand it for myself. But then I found out you could. Like you could just read it. You can just read the New Testament and you could just say, speak to me. Like, I don't want somebody else to explain this to me. I want to just read it. So I've been asking myself, why is the message of Jesus, why hasn't it been more transformative? Like why who people who believe in the gospel, why aren't they the people who love, love, and who love loving people? Why, why, I know we should be and some are, but not everybody is. Why isn't everyone the person who I just value? I'm the, I'm the first in line to find the infinite value in every individual. Because of what I've read in the book of Romans, I'm chasing after immigrants to love them and to care for them and to welcome them. Why isn't that like just true of everyone? And I, so I've been asking myself the question, what is there in Romans chapter one? What is there in Romans chapter two, chapter three, chapter four, that would be so transformative that it would make you into that person. So that's kind of what I'm doing and it's kind of what, so this is what I came up with. Like if you, and you read chapter one, if you knew what God was like, you read chapter two, if you knew what we were really like, if you read chapter three, if you, and if you knew what Jesus did about that, then according to chapter four, and you really believe that you'd be the most joyful person in the world. So, so I found something in, is this making sense like that's Okay. So I found something in Romans chapter one. Um, that I realized I had always believed something about that scripture, about that verse, because people had always told me that. And then I realized that it didn't say that. And it's kind of transforming me. Um, it, ha it has over this last year. So it's kind of like if you really knew what God was like, if people really knew what God was like. So that's what he kind of talks about. So in verse 18, so like Paul's going to, I'm going to tell you like this, the, the amazing news of Jesus, the most greatest message ever. Before I get to the good news, I need to tell you some super bad news. And that's in verse 18 of chapter one, all the way through chapter three, verse 20. The bad news is we really need this good news because we've really made a gigantic mess of everything. But he starts out by saying, and, you know, and I'm thinking, if you really knew what God was like, and he says, so the wrath of God is revealed from heaven from all, to all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because there's stuff that you could know about God, invisible stuff that everybody knows about God that you could get just from the creation and people don't want that. So they just kind of say to God, I totally disrespect who you are. I'm not going to let you be that person in my life. And I totally disregard your will. Like, I'm not going to, I'm going to do this my way. And then he said, and so God just gave him up. And I'm like, that's not super cool. I mean, like, if you're trying to tell me about God and how transformative it is to know his heart, that doesn't seem super transformative, like that God just gives up on people. 
I totally don't believe that's what it's saying. I don't think that he's saying that God gives up on people. When Paul said that, you know, people, that, that when people make their choices, and every, we've all done it, that we're going to disrespect the heart of God and we're going to disregard the will of God, he just gives us over. But that's the same word. It doesn't mean he's giving you up. It doesn't mean he's, give, he's giving people up. It's the same word in chapter four where he said he gave over his own son. It's the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he said, I gave over to you the good news. I think that what Paul is saying is that people have basically said, I don't want to do this God's way. I really want to do it my way. And God's like, okay, this is not going to be good. I mean, there's something that God knows, like there's a place in Proverbs chapter eight where it's talking about how God created the world. And in Proverbs chapter eight, right beside God, there was a woman <laughs> and her name was Wisdom, Hokmah. And it basically means she's the one like the wisdom is how you should live your life, like how you should live with your money, how you should be a friend, how you should talk, how you should live sexually, all that stuff. And wisdom is saying, I was with him when he made this world. I'm part of the fabric of the world. And if you live life according to God's way, it's going to be good for you. And if you don't, it's not going to come out good because that's the way the world is. And that's the way the world was made. Here's another thing that people told me, and I was like, whatever. They always said, God doesn't care how happy you are. He cares how holy you are. And I don't believe that. Like, I believe, I, I believe that God super cares how happy you are. And I also believe, unless you're holy, you can't be happy. I mean, I think that people who are actually holy are the happiest people in the world. And people who are unholy, the world is made in such a way that that's not going to lead you to be a happy person. It's going to lead you to be an unhappy person. And happiness is, like, important. But anyway, it's kind of like when God gave people up, he's basically saying, if you're going to go down that road, go on down it. I gave my son for you. I gave, I have a great message I want to give to you. And when you get to the end of that road and you're ready to give up, I'll be there. You know, and so anyway, so, so, th so then Paul said, let me kind of line this out for you. And he starts talking about, Thomas read this for us. He starts talking about sexual choices that people make and sexual lifestyles that people choose. Thankfully, I don't have time to really get into all that, but, <laughs> but I will say this though, that because people make like sexual choices that people make that disregard the will of God, it doesn't mean that they're not um, worthy of all the rights that this country affords everyone. 
And it doesn't mean that they're not worthy objects of the love of Jesus that we're supposed to show to everyone. And if people make sexual choices that are an expression of disregarding the will of God, Paul, he goes on to list some other ones. And it's a bunch of different words. And when you look it up, you find out that he's saying, you know what else is? You know what else is a super huge expression of disrespecting the heart of God and disregarding the will of God? When people are hateful. And he said, and when people are, he uses the word that means mean. When people are mean, it disrespects the heart of God and it disregards the will of God. And he said, and when people are contentious, which is a word that means argumentative. When people are argumentative, when they talk that way that they talk on cable news and on Twitter and apparently at school board meetings, it's disrespectful of the heart of God and it disregards the will of God. And he said, when people gossip, it's the same. It's just as bad. It's disrespectful of the heart of God and disregards the will of God. When people whisper, that's the word he uses, whisper about other people when they're not there. When people call names, he said, and when people are mean-spirited, it disregards the will of God. So, I mean, I personally think like that sexuality and sexual choices that people make is a question of discipleship. You know, so if a person doesn't know Jesus or hasn't decided that they want to follow Jesus, I don't really care what they do. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't care what choices they make. My obligation, my holy obligation is to love them and to, and to pray and to work and to hope that I could share the love of Jesus with them. And then when they come to know him, there's a cross that he offers to everyone. But the idea of a person making up their mind that they're going to live the sexual will of Jesus. According to like the words of Jesus and according to the authority of the Old Testament, which he affirmed in every place, the sexual will of Jesus is extremely restrictive. Like when you think about disregarding the will of God sexually, I mean, we've all done it. I mean, who hasn't? Jesus didn't, that's about it. But the sexual will of Jesus is extremely restrictive. Like the picture is the idea of like, you know, a man and a woman, well, maybe, I mean, back then it was kind of like teenagers mostly, but you know, when they got married, but a man and a woman making an, an like a, an unending commitment to each other unqualified fidelity to each other, even in their mind. Like who's done that? But that's what it is. And you think, how does God, like why is he so restrictive that way about sex? Well, he, I mean, the idea is that like he created us, like if a person invents like a car and like they, and so they have an owner's manual and the owner's manual says when the oil light comes on for this car, you need to put 10W30 Quaker State. That's the only thing that'll work. And your oil light comes on and you think, well, I don't really have that. 
I do have a bottle of, like it's a two liter bottle of Diet Coke. And I think, I mean, it's, you know, it's black, it's liquid, kind of like it. So can I, I think I'll use that. You can, you can, you can, you will blow the engine up. And so, and like, but the idea that God, God created human beings, like if you go to Genesis chapter one with the human beings, <coughs> with a longing for intimacy, like there's just something in the human heart that says, I'm looking for my bud. I'm looking for my buddy. She'll be back on Wednesday, but I'm you know, I've got, I'm looking for somebody and I want to be in, like, I'm looking for intimacy. I'm looking for that person I can be naked with and just in, you know, physically, emotionally, psychologically, in every, in every way. I was looking for her, you know, so Tina and I have, like, our favorite song's a country song and it, it says, it, I, I just like it goes just like a tree along the river banks spreads its branches to the sun above we spend our lifetime looking for a friend because everybody needs someone to love wednesday wednesday it said i wanted you this is the way i felt i wanted you since the day my life began I heard your footsteps running just beyond my mind. And ever since that moment, I've been reaching for your hand, hoping you'd be reaching out for mine. And that's how God made my heart. That's how God makes the human heart. And then he invented sex, that it would be something that would be so fun and so joyful and so sweet and so crazy and so kind. You know, so like he, so he made the first man, like the first two humans, and it said they were naked and they had no shame. And it's like, that's what a person is longing for. Like God made us that way to want to find your buddy, you know, your person. And I'm walking through my life with this person and I don't have to protect myself from her in any way. And she doesn't protect herself from me in any way. If we don't have shame in our relationship, you know, if you read Ephesians chapter four, where it says you shouldn't really criticize anybody, say any critical words. If two people don't criticize each other, Paul says, don't ever raise your voice. Don't ever call anybody a name. If they're not raising their voices at each other, if they're not calling each other names, he said, if you're, if you're kind and tender hearted, and if two people are kind and tender hearted to each other, like all day long, and he goes on to say, he goes on to say right after that, and you're imitating God who is kind and tender hearted. And you do that all day and you cherish your friendship and you cherish your friend. And then at the end of the day, it just ends in fun and joy and sweetness and something so maybe start the day that way, you know, just so kind, you know what I mean? And it's just that. And in Ephesians chapter five, Paul said, you know, that thing right there, like that life that I intended of just intimacy and kindness and sweetness and joy and fun. It's a deep mystery, but I'm talking about God and his people. The reason God designed it that way is there's something that he wants to tell you about the way he feels about you, that it's something like that. And that's the thing that's in the last year that's been so 
transformative in my life. Like in, in Romans chapter one, he says, there's stuff that you should know about God that you could know from creation. And people, ha- and people always told me from the very beginning, it's, it's, it's a, you know, you look out at the stars, right? That's what they said, go look out at the stars. I thought, okay. I get nothing. I get nothing. I mean, I, you know, it's like Psalm 19, it says, the heavens declare the, vo- the glory of God. There is, the voice is always speaking. I don't know what the stars are telling me, you know, or look at the human eye. It's so amazing. Okay, it's so amazing. But I don't know what that's telling me about God's nature, the invisible things of creation. Paul said, they tell you something about God's nature. And I realized that I always thought about the stars because people always said, this is about the stars. And then I realized that it wasn't. There are other things, other created things, other things that are part of this creation that talk to me about love, that God is love. Like when you have a baby and you hold your baby and you start to feel things, you feel things that you've never felt before. And in the New Testament, when it compares the love of God to the love of a dad, you think, well, I didn't really, you know, wasn't that great? So that's not really telling me much, but it's never compared to the love you got from your dad. It's compared to the love you feel for your kids. And it's like, you have a baby and it's like, I'm understanding love, that God is love. And then a mom nurses a baby. And oxytocin is released. It's a neurotransmitter. It's connecting the baby and the mom. And they're falling in love with each other just because God made nursing that way. And you realize that God is a God of love. And that, you know, like, and he says in Isaiah chapter nine, chapter 49, can a nursing mother forget her baby? Even if she could, I, I feel that way about you and I will never forget you. And then two people fall in love with each other and they commit to each other and they start to grow in a life of fun and sweetness and kindness and love. And you're laying there and thinking that God loves me like this. If we only knew what he was like, if we only knew how much love God is love to disrespect his heart, to disregard his will, was the stupidest thing that people could have ever done. I had a thought this year. It just struck me. I believe in God. I know that God is there because it just struck me one day and it overwhelmed my heart because there's such a thing as love. It wouldn't make sense if there wasn't God and if he wasn't love. Can I read you one thing? I've gone over. I won't next week, I promise. <laughs> but can I read, this is something, there was, a, there was an Austrian psychiatrist named Viktor Frankl who, um, he wound up being arrested by the Nazis and he spent World War II in four concentration camps. His wife was in another and he survived, she didn't. But he said one morning they were walking out to do road work and it was icy. And uh, they were just carrying, you know, leaning on each other and, and hobbling along. And his buddy said, what if our wives could see us now? And he said, I thought about her, her face. It's all I could think about. Was thinking about her and a thought transfixed me for the first time in my life. I saw the truth 
as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers, I grasp the meaning of the greatest secret of human poetry and human thought and belief, the greatest secret they had to impart, the salvation of man is through love and in love. And it's just because God is love. Thanks, Lord. I have nothing practical to share. <laughs> but that's changing me to know it and to believe it, that woven into the fabric of the universe is love, because that's what you are. That's who you are. You are love. We love you. Amen. All right, let's sing out. Here we go. I want to pour out my heart. Lord, I want to risk it all. No holding back from the start. I'm not afraid to fall. You fill my life with love. The way you care for me. So I set my heart above and give you Do it. 